21CL Radio. Happy Monday morning and welcome to the Education Vanguard. I'm your host, Michael Bull. Awesome to have you here. Thanks for joining us and being so awesome on our mission, which is building communities of learners. Today, I've got Carrie Stubbs. She is the Vice President for Learning and Innovation at BrainPop.com. Are you familiar with Moby and Tim, the dynamic duo, both robot and human, that have been explaining and teaching students for more than 10 years? If not, you soon will be. Today, I speak with Carrie Stubbs, Vice President for Learning and Innovation at BrainPop.com. A former teacher herself, Carrie made the jump to industry by offering her ideas and solutions to what makes good, effective learning for students using an online platform. Carrie is also a featured presenter at the 21st Century Learning Conference in Hong Kong this month. She will be presenting, hosting, and co-hosting discussions on the future of learning in the digital age. She will also be a member of a panel discussion that I will be hosting. Lucky me. Enjoy the conversation. Carrie Stubbs, thanks so much for joining me on the program today. Absolutely. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you here. I've never interviewed anybody from Brain Pop. And uh, there is a question, though, that I've been reading in the media that a lot of people have on their mind. Do you mind if I ask it? Of course. Let's dive right in. Well, is it true that Moby is reported to be voting for Donald Trump? <laughs> beep, beep, beep. <laughs> and that, that's just the standard response, right? Exactly. <laughs> maybe, maybe you could tell us a little bit about Moby and Tim and Brain Pop and why I, who, I, who the heck I'm even ta- referring to. I think most people know who Donald Trump is, so you can probably skip that. Absolutely. So Brain Pop has been around um, since about 1998. We are known for our engaging animated digital content. Historically, we were known for these fun, engaging movies and quizzes that featured Tim and his sidekick robot named Moby. But increasingly, the last several years, we have been on a furious pace um, with innovation. So we've done a lot around educational games and concept mapping and really empowering kids to take the content understanding that they're gaining from those movies we've already always been known for and applying that toward new ways of constructing meaning on their own, whether it's through playful assessments or um, educational games or building a deep dive concept map around what they've learned. Um, We're known for our American English offerings, but we also have offerings in French and Spanish and Mandarin Chinese and um, English um, language learners. So we've definitely diversified our offerings. Yeah, you certainly have. Now, I used to teach in Shanghai. I'm in Bangkok now. But uh, we used to watch uh, Tim and Moby all the time. Of course, we were an international school, so we did the English version. But I didn't know that you guys had moved into Mandarin as well. Yeah, absolutely. And interesting that you say your time in the classroom is where you used to use BrainPop because that's uh-huh. actually how I first learned about BrainPop. Um, I actually used to teach third graders. I taught for 11 years in Texas and Kansas, and I mm-hmm. discovered BrainPop um, when I was using it with my own third grade students. So it was kind of exciting for me to, to land here on the other side of the equation. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that in a moment. That'll be interesting to, to see that transition. <laughs> Before we get to that, you, you mentioned here how, you know, when I first met Brain Pop, and I guess I met Tim and Moby and used Brain Pop, it was just watching the videos, which was a great way to explain science experiments, for example. And you talked about moving into more innovation. Why did you guys decide to take that turn? What, what changed? What happened? Yeah, absolutely. 
so we have lots of former teachers on staff combined with that kind of core industry expertise. We also work really hard to keep our ears on the ground with listening to what educators, administrators, and state tech directors and, um, you know, different stakeholders in the land of education need Mm -hmm. from digital content. One piece of feedback we repeatedly received was the need for students to have individual logins and the ability to interact with their teachers and share um, their work progress with the teachers and their teachers to have the ability to, to give them feedback on the back end as well. So that's one thing that drove that slice of innovation. Um, as far as gaming, believe it or not, we've always been associated with gaming just because we're so animated and fun and, and come across as humorous. Huh. Um, but we, we spent a lot of time researching and, and peeling back the onion uh, around educational gaming as we put together um, a portal for gaming called Game Up. It mm-hmm. represents um, our desire to kind of pick out best of breed game developers, whether they're universities or museums or just kind of cool indie game developer folks. So we're up to about 100 games that um, are offered for free that um, rise up through a pretty rigorous vetting process. So we allow in about one game for every 100 that we review. Wow. And pull them into game up. So yeah, just some little examples of innovation and what's driven um, that work. So I'm curious of of the innovation or the innovative stuff that's going on. What maybe is personally the most interesting or exciting to you? And what do you see maybe coming in the future that is also going to be as exciting? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, One thing I'm like ridiculously excited about right now is a new tool we launched um, within the past few years called Make a Map. Uh It's a concept mapping tool, but it's digital. And kids are able to watch or rewatch Brain Pop movies and actually pull in video clips that they select from those Brain Pop movies along with keywords and images and blank nodes and explain their connections. And one of the reasons I have a a tender heart (laughs) for Make a Map is I was a concept map junkie out the wazoo (laughs) (laughs) with my third graders. We, it's just how my brain thinks. It's, um, for me personally, how I evaluate new information as I'm examining it. It's how I plan for my dissertation when I was getting my PhD. I'm just a, a concept map thinker. Um, so I've been so excited with make a map and the feedback from teachers when they have their aha moments in trainings that we've been engaged in with them is fascinating and incredible. And we just see the same thing with students. And it really lets, it really empowers teachers to personalize um, how they glimpse into the mind of their learners. So they're really able to see on an individual level how one child is processing natural disasters, for example, as opposed to maybe their, their peer that's sitting right next to them. Well, I'm always curious when I talk to my students, I'll look at the two of them and I'll think to myself, how would this child process a natural disaster versus the one next to them? And you have created an opportunity now for me to understand all that. Yeah, we're really excited about it. (laughs) Definitely one of my new favorites, for sure. (laughs) Well, actually, I'm wondering when you were negotiating, you know, we're getting ready to work for them, did you say, look, I'll only do it if we can do a concept map? (laughs) I actually did not. But I was so excited when it happened. Another, I have to share a second thing I'm really excited about because it just happened literally yes, in the yes, last 90 days. Um, we just relaunched our website quietly um, late November with a huge, you know, public announcement and push the last couple, I don't know, 90 days or so uh-huh. to be able to 
empower folks to log in through their browser on any device, whether it's your phone or your tablet. So you might have noticed when the iPad launched, um, however many years ago that was, what, mm-hmm. five years ago, we came out with the BrainPop app. The app really has just been the movie and the quiz experience. So it's through the browser that you get access to all these other amazing resources. So sure. we're really, really excited because now if your students are using Bring Your Own Device or they're using iPads in their classroom or, or fill-in-the-blank tablet, we've, we've made it where BrainPop's available everywhere through the browser. Well, that's good news for everybody. It is. It's exciting. So, Kara, if you don't mind, I wouldn't mind. Let's take a little bit of a detour back to your time when you started out as a regular teacher. And then how did you transition and end up working uh, for BrainPop? Because I think a lot of teachers, after a few years in the classroom, might be thinking to themselves, I wonder if I should try something different or whatever. And your story would probably be something of interest to them. I would be delighted to share. Um, I loved teaching. I'm, I'm very passionate about education. So I mentioned I taught, started in Texas. Um, for a year, and then I returned to my home state of Kansas, where I taught for 10 more years, second and third grade here in the States, and uh-huh. um, had a crazy wild hair that it might be smart to go back and get a PhD, but I didn't have an end goal in mind. <laughs> it just sounded <laughs> like fun at the time. Just kind of sound like a good idea. <laughs> I think most people feel that way until they start, right? <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like a way, again, I, I totally fall on the sword and judge my crazy logic, but it seemed like a smart idea. Uh-huh. Um, but it would allow me to stay in education, but experience education from a different lens and a different vantage point and potentially open up new doors. So, you know, earned my PhD in curriculum with a technology emphasis, a minor in administration. And, um, you know, one thing led to another and I, I ended up on the other side of the equation, um, at BrainPop. And I have been here for seven years, believe it or not, as of February. Oh, so wow. it's been a wonderful landing place for me. It's, it's awesome because it's still a small company. I know we come across as big guys, but mm-hmm. we're, we're still pretty small. We have tons of teachers on staff and lots of folks that are really, really passionate and, and care about our kids and our teachers and making sure we're offering the best support that we possibly can, which is why we've rallied so um, intensely around innovation. So were you one of the first teacher hires or was there already a group there? There were there was already several teachers there, but it was a I want you know I I'd probably mess up on exact numbers, but there were maybe a dozen people on staff ish, mm-hmm. maybe twenty at the most um, when I joined. So yeah, definitely a, a family feel. We were actually started by a childhood immunologist, so a oh, doctor, of course, that did intend <laughs> to be in the land of education, but he was just trying to come up with a way to explain confusing health concepts to kids, to his patients and their families. Oh, I thought you were going to say he was looking for uh, a funny guy that kids can watch while they got a shot. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he worked with kids with severe illnesses and okay, wanted okay. to make that less threatening. So it's a, it's a pretty cool story. And then it took off from there. Took off from there, so yeah. Are, are the teachers like the reality check? Like uh, one of the developers will come up with something and you'll be like, no, that's not going to work. Or is it the other way around where they're like, what's going to work? You know, they really work in close tandem with one another. We have several former teachers. This isn't my role, but we have several former teachers that spend a lot of their time in classrooms with kids oh. and with their teachers doing product testing and sure. getting feedback, whether it's paper play testing or... You know, part of that game vetting process I mentioned that, you know, only about 100 make it through. Um, once they make it through, we still work with classroom teachers and students to 
make any fine tweaks mm-hmm. that we think would improve, you know, their experience when they're on Brain Pop. Well, that's going to be fantastic. That must be so good for, I mean, it must have worked for them to actually take feedback from people, the constituents, so to speak, the, the kids in the classroom and the teachers as yes. well. Absolutely. And, you know, when we're in large conferences, so I'm speaking from the U.S. perspective, not the um, international one, but we're in, when we're at conferences like ISTE, uh-huh. um, we have focus groups where we bring the focus group to the educators, so to speak. So we're able to get diverse stakeholder input. Now, you're going to be presenting, speaking of internationally, at the upcoming yes. 21st Century Learning Conference in Hong Kong in middle of February. Yes. And uh, it's going to be great, great to meet you in person at that point. And I'm going to be on a panel where I get to ask you questions about the next five years and all those things. So it'll be good Yay. learning for me, for sure. But one of the presentations you're going to do is Creative Thinking in the Digital Age, A Close Look at Coding Games and Concept Mapping. Now, you, we talked earlier about Brain Pop and how its role in that. But I suspect you're going to talk about the larger role of that beyond Brain Pop. And why did you choose this topic? Are you, are you seeing that as the wave of the future? Or is it just something of personal interest or, or whatever? Yeah, um, I think that it's it's a topic that clicks in the minds of educators across multiple countries, and whether they're international school teachers or public school teachers, coding is getting so much attention um, everywhere. So mm-hmm. I wanted to create an opportunity for teachers where they'd have time to experience coding as an example, um, where it was non-threatening and it was safe. Um, you know, there's all sorts of research out around coding in particular and games in particular. Um, the research that I've read that those two um, teaching strategies in particular uh-huh. um, are a little bit scary to teachers. So sometimes it's nice to have a safe <laughs> environment to play and have a little bit of a security blanket and, um, you know, connect and debrief with with other like-minded educators. Um, so we're going to do some coding and we're going to play some games and um, it should be really fun. I've spoken about not a, this exact topic, but similar slivers mm-hmm. of this topic the last few years. Uh, last February, so a year ago, I was in Paris at the UNESCO Mobile Learning Week event that UNESCO co-hosted with UN Women last year and oh, nice. did a big three-hour workshop on um, leveraging games and coding with an eye toward gender sensitivity, which uh-huh. was really interesting and fun and a topic I'd not done before. So. Um, yeah, so I guess I landed at this topic based on some past speaking experiences paired with what teachers seem hungry for um, internationally. Now, I, I work in an elementary school as a technology coach, and so I'm doing my best to bring in coding. And, of course, the kids are just rabid fans of coding, <laughs> you know, using something like code.org, for example. Yeah. But it's hard to get it in. You have to find, let's say, where it applies in math or science and then talk to the teacher, and they'll say, yeah, come in, and we can have a compliment in an existing lesson. Do you think there's a brighter future for coding? Like, I want to say it's the new literacy, and it should be taught uh, right along with math and science and English and all those sorts of things. Do you you see that as an eventuality, or is my approach of slipping in when I can really the wave of the future for me? I actually read an interesting article recently, and there was a fun kind of intellectual debate um, online surrounding an article, and I apologize, I can't cite it. I don't remember who published it, but the the argument that was posed was uh-huh. if things should be adopted as a foreign language uh-huh. in schools, so um, a language that students could elect to take. Um, you know, the coding ex- the coding games that we're going to play are more elementary, you know, elementary focused, lower middle 
level mm-hmm. grade focused. So in that instance, it's more like learning what commands are and algorithms and kind of how that, you know, cause and effect, how sure. that can lay a rich foundation for that process oriented thinking. I believe that that process oriented thinking and some of those foundational concepts are absolutely going to permeate what education looks like moving forward rather than being the sneaky how to fit it in um, resource. But, you know, everyone's at a different place. So if you think about teaching comfort and teaching expertise, it's a continuum and it's okay. Wherever you are on that continuum, there are going to be some teachers that aren't doing any coding and and some teachers that are fitting it in where it works because they're trying it on for size and trying to figure it out. And then you're going to have some crazy trailblazer coding teachers that are really into it. So it's, well, say, it's, it's not. It's not going to happen today. You're saying, but it, it, through the tomorrows, we're going to see it emerging. Absolutely, and I, you know, I think, you know, you mentioned Code.org. I think events like Hour of Code that impact so many kids, yeah. um, internationally, are just wildly empowering and and impactful, and definitely are moving the needle, um, so to speak. So yeah, it'll be very interesting. It's a great question. I don't have the exact answer, but I think it'll be very interesting, um, you know, where coding fits five years from now with regard to curriculum and, and everything. I know ISTE's in the middle of a standards refresh, mm-hmm. um, which is the International Society for Technology and Education, and um, they're definitely keeping an eye on coding as part of that standards refresh, which is also interesting and worth noting. And I suspect that's something you're going to be talking about at the conference as well? It is. I'm actually co-speaking <laughs> um, two sessions. I'm so excited with Matt Harris. Um, he is actually our chair of the board for ISTE, and I'm one of the fellow board members with him. So we've served together for several years. He's the deputy head for learning technology at the British School of Jakarta. So we're going to co-host two sessions, one more from a teaching perspective and one more from a leadership perspective on, you know, building a conversation around those standards and, and what those standards look like in, in practice and schools. Well, that'll be good. Matt's a good guy, and we're always excited that he's an international teacher, so he represents us far away folks. I know. I'm so excited. I think it'll be a wonderful opportunity to speak with him. Yeah, we all fundraise to make sure he'd win his campaign to become involved <laughs> in ISD. <laughs> Actually, that's we not true. But. <laughs> All right, I want to get down to some of the final questions. Like you, you, I mentioned earlier, we're going to be on a panel together, and the, you know, it's going to be the next five years trends in learning and education. And some of the things you're doing now, we, you know, we're talking about you talked about coding games, concept mapping. Is that something that's happening in the next five years, or that do you, that seems like that's happening more now? Do you, would you want to go out on a limb and predict what we might see beyond that in the next five years or longer? I think I would like to. Um alter your question and offer some experiences I've had related to these educational trends that I hope to bring to that conversation as a little bit of a teaser. Um, So in addition to serving on ISTE's board, which is a, ISTE is a wonderful way for me to keep my ears to the ground, to use a a term I already mentioned during our conversation with what's happening in education and, and um, see and learn from trailblazing educators that are are trying new things and rolling up their sleeves and taking risks and, and attaching a megaphone uh-huh. to those cool things. But I've also served on the Horizon K-12 report board for several years now. Um, for the awesome. listeners who aren't familiar with that, uh, the Horizon K-12 report is an annual report that I just find fascinating. I, I know I'm part of the conversation that 
creates it. But separate from that, it's just a wonderful litmus test once a year to see um, not only what technologies are predicted to be important in learning in the, they frame them in horizons, so the near, middle, and far term horizon, but it also mm -hmm. separately looks at trends and challenges in education. So um, things like personalizing and individualizing learning or uh, maker spaces or how assessment's going to look different. So coding hasn't been specifically mentioned in that unless I'm having a brain freeze, which I don't think I am. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, that's a nice resource um, beyond going to a conference and listening to a panel, depending on what your personal learning style is. It's kind of nice to have a, a resource that you can read and digest that way as well. Just a quick plug for us. We just uh, got the rough draft for the Horizon Report, but the International Schools in Asia edition today. Oh my gosh, I didn't even know that existed. I'm so excited. We did it last year and then we just did it again this year. So we're going to release it or you know, at least talk about it at the upcoming conference as well. Okay, I'm so excited. I'm going to put on my planner whatever session that that is referenced. Oh, Yay, good. I like something new. Thank you. Yeah, it's to be fun to compare and contrast the differences between the two. Absolutely. That's really wonderful. That's terrific. All right. Well, Carrie, we're coming to the end of our time here. What would be a good way for people to get a hold of you, Twitter feed or, excuse me, Twitter handle or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. My Twitter handle is at Carrie Stubbs, K-A-R-I-S-T-U-B-B-S. You can also reach out to me um, through BrainPop's Twitter handle, which is at BrainPop. Um, and, you know, hop on BrainPop and play. We we have all sorts of services that are free on there. So our entire games portal is free. Um, the Make a Map tool is available for free on every topic, including our free topic of the day that rotates. BrainPop Junior has a free topic weekly. Um, but, you know, there's all sorts of fun free play that you can do to, to kind of try it on for size and do some experimenting related to digital content. So I'd welcome your feedback. I've been speaking with Carrie Stubbs. Uh, she's the Vice Pre President of Learning and Innovation at BrainPop. Thanks so much for your time today, Carrie. Thanks. Have a great day. This interview was brought to you by 21st Century Learning International. Find us on the web at 21clradio.com.